You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to C3SanDiego.com. Well, hey, Shredder's Sunday. I love Shredder's Sunday. I think it's one of the most expectant Sundays of the entire year. Because we're coming in, we're like, I'm not leaving the same as when I came in. We always say it, but like today it's physically true. It's like you're literally leaving something, you're shredding it, and then you're leaving different. And we're literally bringing in the things that we have not had victory over yet, but we know that God's able to do it. When we've done everything that we know to do in our own strength, but we still have a mountain that's facing us that hasn't moved. And, and yeah, there, there are some things that are maybe little things. I, I, I looked at mine last year because I saved it. I don't know if you're supposed to do that. I saved it. I put, oh, I didn't. I shredded it. But I took a picture before I shredded it. So I want to like, see what happened, you know? And so I look 90% completely done with. 90% completely in the past. And the rest of that 10%, I, I, I was telling Pastor Jesse this morning. He was like, well, come on. God's going to get that 10% the last couple days of the year. I'm like, man of God, man of faith. That's why he's one of my closest friends. I love Pastor Jesse. Everyone needs a Pastor Jesse in their life. Not everyone needs Pastor Jesse himself because he's got a wife and kids and stuff, but you need, a, you need someone like Pastor Jesse in your corner. He's incredible. But, uh, but seriously, it was, it was remarkable. And so today is a special day. It's a special day. If you came here and this first time or maybe this is your first Shredder Sunday, I promise you, you're going to remember this day for a long time. Coming into next week, Vision Sunday. So my question to you is, what have you come here with to leave behind? And, and you can write down a whole bunch of different little things and, you know, this and that. But I, I want to talk today about that thing that, that you prayed for for a while, that promise that, that you, you maybe haven't seen come to pass. You might have actually stopped praying for it. Or maybe you, you've been praying for it, but maybe you stopped believing a little while ago. We all know that thing, that thing that taunts us day and night, that thing that when we're looking at the promise of God, we just, I don't know how that's going to, I don't see a way. God is the way. God is going to make a way where there was no way. And I promise you today, everything's going to change. Everything's going to shift. You see, it's, it's a physical act, but it has spiritual significance. Like Pastor Mike was saying, like you bring it, you shred it, nothing changes. But yet everything changes. Nothing changes, but yet everything changes. Because I found that when we submit our weakness, when we submit our dependence upon God, he's able to transform anything in our life and make it work together for our good. So what is our response when we face that mountain that hasn't moved? When we face that cup that just won't pass from us or when we see that giant that's been taunting us for 40 days and 40 nights like the Israelis, Israels did, what, what do you do? I've, I feel like the answer is really simple and it's in the last chapter of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, not last chapter, last book in Revelation 12, 11. You see, normally we preachers, we wait till the very end to give you the good news. But I figured I'll give you the good news right now from the beginning because God is the author and the finisher. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. And so in Revelation 12, 11, let's put it up. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they overcame him. They overcame the devil. They overcame that situation. They overcame that financial thing that looked destitute. They overcame that doctor's report. They overcame past tense, meaning God's looking at it from the end saying, I know it doesn't look right over there, but I promise you're going to make it out on the other side. I know it doesn't look like you're going to make it, but I'm here from the end. And you overcame, you overcame, you overcame. And so I want us to repeat this because this is going to help me announce the title a little bit. I want you to say, all I have, all I have. is all I need. Is all I 
Because Jesus is king. The title of this message is Overcomer. Because that's what you are. And if you don't know what overcomer means, phenomenal. I have the Webster's Dictionary definition. It is to get the better of in a struggle or conflict, to conquer or to defeat. To get the better of in a struggle or conflict. So that means that we are going to have some struggle. We're going to have some conflict while we're here. Jesus even promised it. He said, you will be pers- there will be persecution, there will be trials, but rejoice, for I have overcome the world. You see, I found that as long as I get the better of it, I know that I'm going to face something, but if God says I'm going to get the better of it, because we are overcoming, we are going to get the better of, we're going to get over the thing. It may not look like it, but we're coming over the thing, and that's something to be excited about. The story of David, I feel like, in the Old Testament, once again, kind of growing up, just studying this guy, I found that his story speaks to me so clearly about how to live as an overcomer. You see, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And us being born again, believers, especially even those of you who just made that decision just two minutes ago, you are now born of God. You are now an overcomer. So even if someone calls you something else when you were young, even if someone else put a label on you when you were young, you are an overcomer. So as King's kids, we don't have to settle for a giant in our face. We can take a stone of the word of God and we can sling it and see it fall. And the story of David is a life of overcoming. You see, we look at him and we see the promise. We see the King David who then the lineage of Jesus Christ descended through. That's pretty epic if you ask me. But what about when he started? What about the process he had to go through to become king? You see, he was in the middle of his process. He had a promise, and then we see him become king. We see him attain the promise, but sometimes we forget what the process looked like for him. You see, all of us, we have a promise. We've received the promise. We, 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 we believe it's going to work out, but we're in this thing called the process. We see it in David's life because it's in a book. It's easy to, like, beginning and the end. It worked out. But sometimes it's harder to believe it along the way. And so that's what we're going to kind of go through today with the story of David. And so if we look at his life, he was actually born out of wedlock. So immediately, shame, reproach, sin was in his family, and he just felt completely rejected. His mom's family didn't want him. His dad's family didn't want him. But his dad's family took him anyway. So he's the son of Jesse, and he was one of eight kids. And if you ask Jesse back then, if you ask his brothers back then, they all didn't like him one bit. In fact, they put him out as far as they could in the pasture. They put him out as a shepherd's boy, which if you're picking chores, Probably don't want to be the shepherd's boy, but that's where they put him. The whole town knew that he was born out of wedlock, so the whole town knew that he was to be mocked. The whole town made fun of him, and it was like, it was like he was forgotten. And so what is pretty crazy is by the time he's 12 years old, you got to imagine how much is ingrained in you of being rejected, being just filled like probably with quite a bit of anger, but, and he's out completely on his own, and then all of a sudden, a promise comes. You see, Samuel comes, the prophet, and he comes to anoint a king of the son of Jesse. And Jesse's got eight sons, so he's like, I'm bringing out my best seven. And, and we all know the story. He brings out his best seven, not David. He sent David as far away. Because it's funny what happens when you come in the presence of God, and you, all you want to do is put up your best. And you're like, I'm going to send that thing that I'm embarrassed about. I'm going to send that mistake that I, I'm just ashamed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send him as far away as possible because I don't want, I don't, I, 
But that's religion, and we're not religious people here. Come on, we have a relationship with God. He wants to use the very thing. What if, what if God wanted to use the very thing you're ashamed of? What if God wanted to use the very thing that you think is a weakness and turn it into a weapon? What if, if we would just bring it to God? And so Samuel says, nope, not this one, not this one, not that one. Seven, none of them. And they all look like they would be the ones. And so he says, where's the other? He's like, what other? He's like, the other. And so he brings out David, the shepherd boy. And Samuel's like, that's the one, anoint him king. David didn't have the accolades. David didn't have the resume, yet God chose him. God will use what you think is insignificant in your life, what you think doesn't make sense, what you think shouldn't afford, was a mistake even, and God will use it to bring you into your promise. And so it was at that point that while he was still a shepherd boy, nothing changed in that moment when he was anointed king, but everything changed. He went from his whole life thinking, I am rejected, I am not wanted, I am not good enough, I am not all these things, to now I am born to be king. I was born to be king. I am an overcomer. Nothing changed, but everything changed. And so he began his internship with, uh, with Saul in the courts, and he was playing the harp, you know, doing his internship. It might not have been an internship. It's just a thought. But <laughs> he was playing the harp. And, uh, and so he did that, and he was like, I'm on the track. I'm on the, I'm on the corporate ladder. Things are making sense. I'm going to rise to the kingdom. Saul knew he was going to be king. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a setback. Saul goes to war with the Philistines and therefore removes David from the palace, sends him back to the pasture. Have you ever been on your way to the promise? Looked like it was just a few steps away, and then all of a sudden, 10 steps back. You see, but what if it wasn't just a setback? What if it was a setup? You see, David had to go back to the pasture because he had to go three years later and run out the groceries to his brothers to then come to the presence of what looked like an insurmountable giant in the valley of Elah, where the giant was, Goliath. And it was 40 days, 40 nights. The armies of Israel had been mocked. 40 days, 40 nights. Once again, what's that thing that just won't shut up when you go to bed? What's that thing that you didn't want to think about when you came to church because you were like, I think I just got to live with it at this point? What's that thing that you have that promise, which the Israelites had? They had the promise, you will occupy the land and no man shall stand before you. You know God's bigger than the thing, but at the same time, you've been let down for so long. The thing just talks so loud. You might as well just, that's the thing we're shredding today. And so David says, well, no taxes, that's the reward, and you get Saul's wife, done deal. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take him out. Bam, I'm going to do it. Saul says, you're not going to do it. You're just a youth. He's been at war from his youth. Yeah, he says, but you didn't see in the private place when nobody was looking. You see, me and God, we took down this lion. We took down this bear. So if, if the same God who was with me then is with me now, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What is this thing? You see, because the thing in the private that you've done for so long that you've been faithful with, God is going to use. Because if he was with you then, he's with you now. And so he goes, takes him out, one shot, one kill, boom. Party, legend, hero. He's back on track. He's actually VP now. He's like, he's so close. He's the commander of the army. People are even saying, Saul's slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. So it all makes sense. It's all... We're back on track. We're back on track. And then, out of nowhere, major setback. Saul gets jealous and says, he's not going to be king. I'm going to kill him. And so, begins hunting David. Begins hunting David. What happens when you thought you beat the giant, but then the real giant appears? 
thought you got over something, and then all of a sudden, something bigger comes up, and you, there's no way around this. So he runs. He is so far from the promise. He is running from the power. He's running the opposite way. Have you ever felt like you're running the opposite way of where you were meant to be? God was in it. It was a setup. And so David had two choices, and this is where we pick up in his story. He had two choices of how he handled this giant, of how he handled this mountain. You see, it really depends on the voice that we listen to because the reality is one voice will tell you, take the way out. The other voice will tell you, there's a way through. There's a way through. The first voice sounds like, I know you got the promise. I know they said you were going to be healed, but remember how many doctors said you wouldn't? Remember that time you thought you were healed, but then it just got worse? Remember that time when you thought you were making headway and then that bill came in and it was like, where did that come from? Or remember that time you thought that client was closed and then it, you lost four? Like, w remember all that? Like, just let, just let go of the promise. Just let go of the promise. Just let it go. Live in mediocre. Just settle. Just settle. It's safer. No letdown. No hope loss. Just settle. That's what the first voice sounds like. The second voice sounds like, lay hold of the promise. The first voice sounds like, if I was with you then, I'm with you now. If I won't leave you and I won't forsake you, who or what could be against you? That's what the second voice sounds like, and that's the voice that David chose. And so we come to a place where David chose to engage faith. He came to engage the presence of God. So we're going to read 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. And it said, Now David came to Nob, a town. Not a doorknob, he came to a knob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? You see, David came and ran to the temple, which at that time was where people engaged and worshiped in the presence of God. See, I'm not saying it's bad to come to church. You need to be here at church. We need to gather together. You need to believe with other people. But sometimes the door's not open and you need to develop a relationship. You need to develop a place of presence in your life so that when things hit the haywire, not only do you know who to call, but you know where to go. You know what voice to listen to. I'm choosing the place of the presence. And so David ran to the temple. He didn't tell his connect leader, though, because it says Ahimelech was like, why are you alone? He forgot to grab his connect leader. Don't forget that. Really important. So the presence is the place of surrender. The, place, the presence is the place of I cannot do this in my own strength anymore. And the admittance of that. Sometimes pride gets in the way and says, no, you, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. Don't admit weakness. Well, friend, you're going to suffer there for a little while until you just let God in that thing. You see, it's when we run to the presence of God that we invite the power of God into our situation. And we see that perfectly illustrated in Romans 8, 28. So if we could put that up. I love this scripture. It says, and we know, we're going to do a little, little Hebrew Bible study here, if that's okay with y'all. Little Hebrew words. <laughs> I did my bar mitzvah, so I'm, I'm certified here. So, <laughs> and we know, and we know, no means to have seen to be true. Not like I know cognitively, not like I know because I can read that and I'm like, I know it's going to work out. Like, I know, like, I know, and we know because I've seen it to be true. If he helped me kill the lion and the bear, if he helped me get through that circumstance, that situation, he's going to help me get and we have seen it to be true, that all things, not some things, not one thing, not that thing, not this thing, all things, everything you face, God will work through. Work together, meaning 
to have workers together. God is literally going to use those mistakes. God is going to use that thing that happened to you. God is gonna use every little thing that you thought he couldn't use. He's gonna work it together for your good. And good doesn't actually just mean good like okay, like we use it, like oh, that's good. No, good here means profitable. Good here means beneficial. Good here means useful meaning it's not gonna be a zero-sum game. It's not just like, I'm gonna get it reset. I know you made that mistake. I know you messed that up. I know this thing happened to you and it was terrible, but let's get you back to ground zero. No, 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 no. God is saying, I know that happened, but it's actually better that it happened that way because I'm gonna work it all together for your gain. To those who love God, which we all do, it's awesome, and to those who are called according to his purpose. Those who are called actually means invited to the royal table. Invited to the royal table. You see, we have special privileges that people who don't have a relationship with God do not have. You see, when things happen to us, God works them all together. When things happen to people who don't believe in God, they just happen and it sucks and it is what it is. But we have as King's kids, we've got some special privileges. God's saying, it does not matter what happens to you in this lifetime because I am king. And while I'm king and you're my son and you're my daughter, I'm going to take every single thing and I'm going to work it out for your good. What does that mean? It means you cannot lose because he is victorious. And so, therefore, so are we. And then called according to your purpose. That's the last part. Remember that purpose part. Just, just hang on to that. So once we come into the presence of God, we need to exchange our problem and our pain for his promise so we can step into purpose. We need to exchange our problem and our pain for his promise to step into purpose. You see, David was out of options, and he came to the presence of God for help. That's a good posture to be in. So we pick back up in 1 Samuel 21, verse 2. And we're going to go to verse 6. It says, So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Don't let anyone know about anything on the business of which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. He came with expectation. It's a good thing to come to the presence of God with some expectation to receive. And the priest answered and said to David, There is no common bread on hand but there is holy bread. There is holy bread. And we're going to jump to verse 6. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread. I know you're saying, Alex, what's, what, what's showbread? What's, what's the point of that? Well, I'm glad you asked the kid that grew up Jewish. So showbread is what they put out in the Old Testament on the table to represent their relationship and their reliance upon God. It was 12 loaves of bread divided by two, so six, two, two rows of six, and they would put it on a table, and it would be the table of showbread, and it would signify their dependence on God, and the priest would eat it. So the funny thing is, remember that word I told you? Remember, what was that word? Purpose. What was it? Purpose, purpose, purpose. So I knew I saw showbread before. I just couldn't remember where. So when we say Romans 8, 28, all things work together for blah, 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 for your, you know, according to God's purpose, that's, that purpose, purpose, that same word is the same word for showbread. Meaning, I can be filled in the presence of God if I come with a need, God fills me with his purpose. 
But the only way I get filled with his purpose is if I come with a need. If I come with an area saying, God, I can't do this on my own, he will fill you with his purpose. We see this exchange perfectly explained by Paul in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. We see, and he said to me, and God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect, meaning to be completing its intended goal. I want God completing his intended goal through me, but he only does it in weakness. I know. Ah, why? Because it's not human to human weakness. It's human to God weakness. I am weak before God, but that doesn't mean I'm weak. It just means I'm relying upon God. That word weakness actually means just to be in reliance upon God. How many want to be in reliance upon God? If you're not relying upon God, you need a bigger dream. So we got Vision Sunday next week. That's just for all of us, but especially for y'all that don't need God right now, it's time to step into something bigger. It's a word for somebody. So he came into a place of relying upon God, and it was only then that he actually stepped into his purpose. He was filled, quite literally, with the showbread, with purpose. You see, there must be weakness for us to have purpose. It's this weird thing. We must rely upon God to have purpose. It's the only way. And I saw that to be true when we just had a staff retreat with Mike Connell. And, uh, and it was this powerful, powerful week that we got to spend getting ministered to. You see, most leaders would, when they do a staff retreat and they're spending all that money, they would do it to have strategy and vision and leadership and all this stuff. But Pastor Jurgen Leanne, I love it. Like, they just bring my call and they said, let's get, let's get the house cleaned up, you know? Let's get some people healed up. Because they know if people are healed, they have an overflow. They have an overflow and all the vision, all the strategy. So I'm thankful for our pastors that they would do that. And we had a great week, and it was the, one of the first ministry sessions. And I, I've been here before with Pastor Mike Collin. I'm like, oh, man, stuff's about to go down. Everyone's looking around like, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Everyone's like, don't look. Just, just look forward. I started, like, like getting, like, like, like having symptoms. of like, I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. And then I start, like, he starts talking. He starts sharing about this thing called parental inversion and this trauma that happens to some of us. And a lot of people end up in ministry uh, that have this happen. It's unfortunate, but it kind of is it's just the way it is. But, you know, my father died when I was nine. And so at that time, it was pretty traumatic. And so I stepped into a role that I, I probably shouldn't have. I remember the, the, uh, at the funeral procession, the, the Navy, um, the man in the, the white uniform, he came up and he handed me the American flag and he said, now it's your responsibility to care for your mom and to care for your sister. And I'll never forget that moment because it was a moment that a burden was placed on me. It wasn't his fault, I'm not mad because that was the right thing to say in the context of there's a responsibility that has to be stepped up into and you're the only one that's there. And my mom and sister didn't have relationships with God so it wasn't like anybody else could feel that. And so I started picking up burdens my whole life. I started picking up things that were not mine to carry, to take care of emotional. And so I, I later found out that I didn't do well in counseling like I thought I did all these years. I thought I did really well. My mom came to tell me, you know, after I shared this experience of healing and freedom that happened that day, I was bawling my eyes out with Mike Connell. I was on the floor and I, and I saw a vision, but I got free. And yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Y'all can clap for me, clap for my wife. She's thankful, she's excited. But I saw a vision, I saw it so clearly, it was, it was the cross, and it was Jesus on one side, me on the other. And I had all these heavy weights, and, and I just heard him say, just hand them to me. Just hand me the burdens. So one by one, 
I would hand him the burden, the burden of a provision handed to me. You tithe, you have an open heaven over your life. You don't need to be burdened by that thing. I will provide. I am Jehovah Jireh. I will provide. And then it was burden by burden. I was handing over to him and I felt lighter and lighter and lighter because he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so I began to feel light. And honestly, since then, my prayer life has transformed. My, my life has transformed. There's been so much that's happened because I came to a place of exchange. I came and admitted that I am not sufficient on my own. I cannot do this. I cannot carry this. I cannot do all that you want me to do on my own. I need you. And until we get to that place, until we surrender our pride and get to that place of exchange, we will be burdened with things we don't need to be. And so it's powerful because we see the same thing happen to Jesus. He comes to the Garden of Gethsemane with a burden he doesn't want to carry. He says, let this cup pass from me. He comes admitting he's weak. He comes admitting the Son of God, coming in admitting, I don't want to do this. But if it must happen, your will be done. You see, nothing changed in the garden, but everything changed in the garden. Nothing changed, but everything changed. And the same thing's going to happen today. An exchange is going to be made. Your insufficiency for God's all-sufficiency, everything will change. You see, but I love God because it's not, he's not finished. He says, David came out, he came into the presence, he exchanged his burden for God's provision and God's purpose, but God wants you to come out with some weapons. So we're gonna read 1 Samuel 21, verse eight. It says, and David said to Ahimelech, is there not on hand a spear or a sword, for I have brought neither sword or my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. I don't know if it was because the king's business required haste or because he was looking for something external to solve the problem, or if he was looking for something he didn't already have to fix what was in front of him. But God said, fix your focus. Someone say, fix your focus. Often we look externally for the answer, but all we have is all we need. Verse nine, so the priest said, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed, whom you had victory over in the Valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. I imagine as David grabbed that sword, the very one he cut Goliath's head off years ago with, I imagine him just having a flashback of that day because now he's facing a mountain, he's facing a giant that he does not know how it's gonna end. But he remembers that time when he faced another giant, a giant that mocked him, a giant that ridiculed him, but a giant that's head came off with the very sword he was holding. And it was at that time when he was in the valley that he remembered it was the bear and the lion. It was the word of the testimony. It was remembering that if God got me through, if God got me through the bear and the lion, if God got you through that financial desperate situation before, if God restored your family before, if God saved you before, what's stopping him from doing it again? You see, you don't need anything new. You don't need anything to change because all you have is all you need. If he did it before, he is faithful to do it again. And that's all we need. You see, God was directing his path the whole way. It didn't look straight, it didn't look right, but he could have gone to any temple. He could have gone to any place, but he came to that temple where that sword was. 
Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but all your ways acknowledge him, for he will make straight your path. It may not look straight to you and I, but God's over here saying, looks perfectly straight to me because you overcame. You see, I'm standing here at the end of this thing. I see the giant with its head cut off. I see that mountain moved into the sea. I see the finished work of the cross. It is finished. I came here to tell somebody today that you are not off track, that you are not behind. You are right on time and you are right on track. Whatever setback you're looking at, it was a setup. It had to happen that way. David came out with the presence, the bread of the presence, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. He came out, sustained, and exchanged his insufficiency for God's all-sufficiency and the word of his, our testimony. He came out with the experience of God's faithfulness, all we need. You see, what if in your time of your greatest weakness, God was preparing your greatest weapon? David came out of the presence of God, filled with the purpose of God, reminded of the faithfulness of God, with the weapons of God, stepping into the purpose of God. It was right after he left this temple that he went to the caves of Adullam and assembled his mighty men. He assembled the 400 men that were distressed, despair, and in debt. And his purpose, which he was filled with at the temple in the presence of God, became unlocked. And it was right after that that he became king. You see, he had to go through what he went through. You see, when you come out on the other side, purpose and promise are waiting for you. When you come out of the presence of God, purpose and promise are waiting for you. When you come out from the other side of beating that giant, your promise, your crown, the thing that didn't look like it was gonna happen, God said, if I'm with you, it's already done. You see, what you're about to overcome isn't just for your breakthrough, but it's for the breakthrough of others. You'll be able to say on the other side of this pain, I wouldn't choose it. If I could go back, I wouldn't choose it, but I wouldn't change that. I wouldn't choose that we had two miscarriages, but I wouldn't change it because now I see women coming in barren and becoming pregnant because they receive faith. I wouldn't choose being addicted to those drugs, but I wouldn't change it because I see people set free by the blood of the lamb. You see, I wouldn't choose going through that despairing situation. I wouldn't choose losing that one one, but I wouldn't change it because it's by my testimony that we overcome. Your testimony is not just for you, it's for others to get unlocked. So it's time to shred. I want you to stand to your feet. It's time to shred. And it's time to come down with expectation. The worship team is going to play. They're going to believe for breakthrough. We're going to believe for breakthrough with you. But here's why we can praise before our breakthrough. I heard that all the time, and it never really made sense to me until I really got this. It was like, we praise because it brings our breakthrough. That's part of it. Like the wall's coming down. That's very true. But there's another part of it. Why we can praise before a breakthrough? Because it's already done. They overcame. Past tense. If he did it once, he'll do it again. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All I have is all I need. Because Jesus is king. Jesus is king over whatever you're facing. And David knew that. David knew because in Psalm 23, he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow. It's time for some of you to start praising God and just thanking him because he's got you through what he's got you through up into this point. What he's got you through up into this point. He is faithful to complete it. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. Yea, through I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me. 
and I am an overcomer. I am an overcomer. I am an overcomer. I want you to say with me, I am an overcomer. I am an overcomer. I will get through this. I may not see it. I may not feel it. But God is for me. So who or what could be against me? Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 